1: free way to get started this got a content creation tool allows you to record it at the podcast right from a phone that's right don't even need a computer but you can do it there too they'll also help you distribute it which is probably the most challenging part you don't want to have to mess with that they got you covered you can get it right on a spotify and apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found and you know what you can monetize it too Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, this is Ruben off the cheek. This is William. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. That's right, Dan here. Brandon is currently away somewhere, but you know what? Nick is like our Angola Conte, at least Angola Conte from seasons prior, and doesn't miss a match, doesn't miss a pod. Welcome back, Nicholas. Hello, team.
2: We're all here. It's fine. Everything's good.
1: <laughs> Everything is good. And to round out the three, because we like to enter into this conversation with just another individual, we did bring the wonderful Dan Levine back to join us. Dan, it has been far too long since Boston and Rooftop Beers, but we are super excited to get you
3: back on. It has been too long, but it's great to be back.
1: Uh, and we are looking uh, very, very much forward to being over in London in the quite near future, Nick. And I think we will probably enjoy some more beers with Dan Levine in,
2: in short order. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping there's still beer left when we're there. Dan. <laughs> that's what I'm, I'm worried about with you know, with the whole with the whole drinking situation, and you know, I think fans were just at their wits' end five matches into the year. It's uh, it's pretty crazy.
3: There will always be, be beer in London. Fear not. So that's one thing we can we can assure you of.
1: <laughs> well, we are we are glad to hear that, Nick. The overall theme for today's show, since you put it in here, I just want to let you run with that.
2: A bit of naivete, I think, um, and and we'll get into the reasons why. But if you watch the match, I'm uh, I'm sure that you will have also seen a little bit of naivete, and and that's okay. All right, well, that is the theme, the Imran Burgundy-style naivete.
1: And (laughs) we will go through a couple of topics today, Lampard's management of the Way for Thin squad we have at the moment, thanks to injuries and where we'd like to see Lampard improve because, yes, we can be critical in context as well. Uh, if the curse of the number nine shirt is being dispelled in front of our eyes by Tammy Abraham back on another brace, more's confident start in the Premier League in lieu of Andreas Christensen and then how Chelsea and us as supporters can help curb the abuse of players online. And before we jump into some of the housekeeping, Nick, I see that you embedded a wonderful tweet from Dan Levine here a pre-match that occurred yesterday.
2: Right. And I and I need Dan to read it because I, I only think it comes across correctly with his with his voice. So, Dan, will you please narrate your own tweet?
3: Uh, well, th- th- just some background on this. I was just having a, a pint before before the game. And, uh, and, and what I wrote was new pub security entry, home ticket only. One guy made it to the bar unchecked, pursued by Bouncer. Your ticket, please. Mate's got it. Home fans only. I'm afraid you'll have to leave. At which he lifted this, his sleeve to reveal a full Chelsea badge tattoo. That'll do. <laughs>
2: it, illegitimately I know Dan puts out a lot of great content. This, I read this yesterday after all the negativity because I didn't see it in real time. And I think that is perhaps... One of the most British stories I've ever heard, and I think it's wonderful. And I appreciate your your anecdotal content as always, Dan. More, please.
3: Yep, I shall. I shall, uh, in service of your needs, I shall make sure I return to the pub and have another pint. So I now, I now know I have your authorization to do that.
1: <laughs> do it for me, please. <laughs>
3: okay. Cheers.
1: It's always good when Nick gives away the hall pass. To, he <laughs> g- gave you the thumbs up <laughs> that uh, is required. All right. Last couple bits of home, housekeeping before we get into the episode today. We did get some more iTunes reviews or Apple Podcast reviews. Thank you so much to everybody. Who leaves those helps us get connected with new listeners we had rich uh multiple nines repeating into from the u.s we had brian o we had uh Havrid, we had uh sup 128 and then uh ga uh thing uh who also said uh to give a shout out to his friend griff so we want to thank everybody there for leaving some wonderful five-star views in apple Podcasts. do it for the next episode and we will hook you up with a shout out Also, since Brandon's not here, he typically does these. I'll do these as well. Patreon, we had a huge, huge rush of people who've joined us in the past couple weeks. We want to thank Connie, Ivan, Byron, Jamie, Mikal, and Andrew for jumping into Patreon, joining us on Discord. We really, really enjoyed the conversation had an opportunity to be much more positive and even even keeled in the discord chat nick on the match and kind of the reflection on it versus uh what people saw in in other spheres online
2: it is uh, the audience curated on on discord is is very thoughtful um and i think if you're if you're looking for more of that type of conversation and less of of morons lampard out zuma out blah 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 then then perhaps the Discord channel is a better spot for you. Uh, I will also mention, because Dan is at work feverishly sending stickers from our from our last <laughs> week of, um, of Patreon uh, support, if you are in Patreon you got in before the deadline on the stickers, please update your address uh, within your profile so that we can actually send you something, because otherwise Dan's just sending them to anywhere, and, and that means you're not going to get them. So uh, do that for us, and we'll be good. Uh, I shall move on to the promo codes quickly because we have got a couple of big sales um, from our partners that I want to get to. Uh, World Soccer Shop, you know, code LondonPod for 10% off. That's a staple. Talisman Caps, our code is London Blue 10 for 10% off $35 or more, but they're also doing a kickoff sale. So they're doing 15% off hoodies, tees, polos. And then you can take an additional 15% off all sale apparel. So use the code FALL15. Use the code LONDONBLUE10. Go get yourself some quality stuff from Talisman. Uh, And then finally, the big one, uh, classic football shirts. uh, Code CFS1313 for 20% off their entire store. And you guys know that we went to their London store to do our last show with the fan cast um, in January. And it was absolutely outstanding. We know that multiple people... Uh, probably a third of our people bought bought shirts while we're in there. Uh, we, we may even go, Dan, buy some shirts as as we head to a little bit of Oktoberfest uh, in, in a month or so.
1: Well, here's a real question, Dan, Dan Levine: Would it be safe to wear a, a Drogba jersey in Oktoberfest in Munich? Is is that uh, is that okay now? Has has the pain <laughs> gone away?
3: Absolutely. I would dis- be disappointed if you didn't. Um, <laughs> and, and and just a serious note: uh, When I was out there in, in for the final in 2012. The, the Munich fans were fantastic. They were absolutely magnificent after the game, and you know, full of um, positive um, congratulations. You know, we were, we received a very very warm welcome. So I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about that at all.
1: All right. Well then, it is done. We will look <laughs> forward to Nick's Instagram in in short order. But that's it. Housekeeping done out of the way. We got to talk about the match. Yes, it was against Sheffield United in the Premier League at Stamford Bridge. Saturday, August 31st, 2019, score Chelsea 2, Sheffield United also 2. Uh, Nick, lineup, though, was, had, had a little uh, little change, a little bit of a, a twist from what we had seen in the prior match.
2: Yes, that, that little twist uh, came into uh, the form of uh, Fakayo Tomori getting a start over Andreas Christensen. Um, so we had, obviously, Arista Balaga at the back, Aspilaqueta Tomori, Zuma, Emerson Ross Barkley gets a second start in a row with Jorginho and uh, Mateo Kovacic and then uh Christian Pulisic Tammy Abraham Mason Mount uh, I don't you know Dan as you were watching this I didn't quite see it looks like there was a 4-3-3 in the first half and then a 4-2-3-1 in the second half can you confirm or deny the formation
3: yeah pretty much um I, th- I think uh like yourself I was um Quite surprised um, looking at that lineup from the start, uh, the defensive lineup in particular. Um, I thought it was great that Fafikai uh, Tamori was uh, getting a big big opportunity there. I thought uh, you know if you're going to do it, this was a good game to do it. I was perhaps a little surprised at the man that he was chosen to be beside. I thought maybe if you're going to drop one of the two, then it might be Zuma rather than Christensen who was dropped. But, you know, it looked like a team that, that had enough there to win the game.
1: Well, we we did see uh, Opta Joe tweeting 24, the average age of Chelsea, starting 11 against Sheffield United, even though Frank Lampard's post-match press conference said that that wasn't really as relevant as it could be. As 24 years of age and 158 days, their youngest ever in a Premier League match whipper snappers we also saw substitutes from William mishi and billy gilmore we uh we had unused subs of olivier Giroud, willie caballero Andreas christensen and marcus alonso Uh, team stats were you know 13 shots to chelsea to sheffield united's eight five shots on target to their two 63 percent possession to their 37 percent we saw pass accuracy of 87 percent to their 78 um terms of offsides, two to their nil, corners three to their four, and expected goals, Nick, would be 1.9 to us, two and one to um, Sheffield United, plus
2: a known goal. (laughs) Plus a known goal, Uh, of of which we will talk about here relatively shortly. Um, Again, you know, we we kind of, you know, Dan, as we were watching the match, I'm sure you kind of saw the same thing, Um, you know, the team started you know fast i think they controlled almost every second of the first half and then uh you know they let you know sheffield back in um at the uh at the beginning of the second half and it essentially you know went the opposite way from there so any any overall thoughts about what you saw yesterday yeah
3: it's, it was in, in a lot of ways it was quite similar to the leicester game which finished with um the same score line. Um, and, you know, Chelsea have looked very good from the start. They come out of the blocks pretty fast, but they do seem to wear themselves out pretty quick. And um, I think one of the developing concerns in this side is, is how tired a lot of the players are starting to look in the second half. And of course, you know, how quickly Sheffield United took advantage of that after the half halftime. Um, I don't. I don't know whether there is more that can be done with conditioning. Whether there's more that can be done about um, what Chelsea are doing in the resting phase. They're just all learning points there. Um, but uh, you know, it's, it is um a, a learning experience at the moment. We have a young team. We have a young manager, and you know, it will take time.
1: Uh, that is it is far too reasoned an approach, Dan. But let's, <laughs> let's get in and uh, jump, You know, kind of talk about that. Is obviously a lot of the criticism in, at at full time was that Chelsea were really cruising to a three-point victory in the first half. I think he even tweeted out the fact that the table at one point was City, Liverpool, and Chelsea 1-2-3 based upon where we were in the match and where the other teams were in terms of goal difference and how quickly that changed. But uh, we only only acquiesced then to Sheffield and allowed them to take an equal share of points at the bridge. So how, why, what went wrong for for? You know Lampard and the Blues. I know you had a couple of comments that uh, you were able to kind of get out of uh, you and the rest of the journalist team were able to get out of Frank. Uh, but he talked about it's not defense; it's conceding as a team, the lack of concentration. We switch off in a game which we should be comfortably seeing out at two 0 uh, I felt he was a pretty fair critic of himself and and what happened in the match.
3: Yeah, I, I think he was, um, and you know he he he, he admitted that uh, you know it was a game they should have won, and I think you have to take that position uh, the, the disappointment was very very strong it was very very clear um frank you know is a, a man i've been talking to for a long long time at football and you know, he does wear that disappointment very very close to the surface um and it was clear post-match uh, at Stamford bridge um but you know as he says it, it's a team game um a lot of people you know, things like twitter being the way they are people like to be reactionary they like to find an individual to blame but you know if you're conceding silly goals then it is generally down to a team failing rather than an individual one and that that is what happened I think
1: yeah Nick I I know that there was also the comment too that we're in a moment now where we obviously need to stop conceding so many goals in such a a matter-of-fact way that probably spoke to your heart but where do you feel or maybe where did you see some of the the larger team failings that that occurred in this match
2: we we talked about uh, after the Leicester match the Mental fatigue being just as crucial as the physical fatigue, and I think when you have a really young team, you know, average twenty four and what however many months again, um, that that's a huge risk. I mean, Frank knows that the energy and the enthusiasm and the crowd getting behind these young guys is is an obvious bonus, but he also has to know that they're just not as as seasoned, um, as, as some of the other players in the squad, a Olivier Giroud world cup winner, um, you know, some of these options off of the bench that were there yesterday. Um, you, you know, even a Mark Salonzo has been through the wars, um, you know, in, in a way that, that maybe some of our other younger players haven't. So, uh, it's not to say that I would have played Mark Salonzo over Billy Gilmore. Obviously they play two different positions. So don't tweet at me. Um, but I think the, I think the point that I'm I'm kind of making. I think the one that you know was very obvious to me yesterday was when we conceded the first goal, Dan Levine, um, right after halftime. The mentality of the team did not look very strong. They didn't look very confident, and that kind of permeated through the rest of the half. And I think that to me, sure, is physical, right? They just went through an exhausting preseason and, and have had a, a ripping hot start to the Premier League season, but. It's also, I think, it's more almost mental fatigue at this point.
3: Yeah, I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. The um, Sheffield United manager said very clearly after the game that the timing of their first goal was was absolutely crucial, and it really did set the tone for the second half. Um, you could see that Chelsea were um, not always physically, but certainly mentally, on the back foot. If you like, they 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 felt that um, yeah, you know, that the, the Sheffield United um, suddenly had some the sign over them, if you like. Um and you know that that carried on in the same way. There is it is a difficulty, isn't it, with with a, a young side that that sort of um, mental robustness. Um and yeah, uh, you know, we'll talk about it shortly, I'm sure. But um, you know, the late um substitution of um, Billy Gilmore for Kovacic um worried a lot of people, myself included, because that was taking out that that added experience, that added you know knowledge of the world. Um, But, you know, these are lessons that that will be learned.
1: Yeah, I think it's a a good point to talk about the substitutions. And, you know, I know I was surprised to see Billy Gilmore come on. I was excited in the moment in just that half a second before processing that it was for Kovacic coming off. And I know that Frank, after the match, did speak to the fact that it was a like-for-like substitution, that Kovacic was fatigued. And I definitely felt like, at least on the telecast stand, that it looked like... He was absolutely just beat, you know, kind of filling in and really having been the deputy for N'Golo Conte. which if if that's the (laughs) benchmark that people have for the job, uh, anyone who's going to have to do a similar shift is going to feel that way uh, at the end of a match. But I, I don't know if it was more of a... Should it have been someone like Andreas Christensen, who's been you know has played a defensive midfielder position before for his national team, would have been a, a better fit there. Uh, I, I just felt like I, I agree that Kovacic looked tired, but I, I don't necessarily feel like Billy Gilmore was the right fix off the bench for him.
3: He did look tired, yes, and I think maybe on some readings he maybe was hobbling slightly as well, which which meant that yeah you know, it was maybe the right time to take him off. Frank was quite defensive on that point. You know, he said that was exactly the reason, and he said it was like for like. Um he also later in his press conference mentioned that christensen can play in midfield so you know that's a little nod to to what you were saying there as well um on Gilmore, I was absolutely delighted to to see him come on and make his debut um it's a fantastic thing for a young man of his age and his ability to do but at the same time I was filled with certain trepidation that it was being done at two one um you know I, i, I joked to the person I was sat next to at the time that, that Mourinho, for example, wouldn't have done that unless we were 7-0 up. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and we'd never be 7-0 up under Mourinho. It just wouldn't happen. Um, but, uh, you know, um, it, it's difficult, isn't it? Because it's weighing up um, whether the, in theory, slightly weaker opposition of Sheffield United is a good time to give them the opportunity against dragging the game over the line. Um, and you know that that is a question I have no doubt Frank will will turn over in his mind many many times in the in the coming couple of weeks of the international break. I,
1: I think that, that Nick, it's probably worth remembering or reminding people that uh, Frank Lampard is only in his second full season as a manager, and that these lessons are going to be harsh occasionally, and they're going to feel crappy to watch a lead kind of slip away, but it's okay to be critical, but it's also important to have maybe the context of what the situation is.
2: Yeah, I agree. Like I, I think it is fine to say that like that was not Frank Lampard's best match as a manager, (laughs) you know, like, and, and again, we're not, we're not the hot take machine. You know, if you're looking for that, you should probably go to, you know, one of the 150 other Chelsea podcasts that exist out there. Um, my my take on Frank has always been that we have to, you know, just as we're willing to give these young players uh, a lot of benefit of doubt and a lot of time, we have to give him that. Um, now, I will say, like as the captain of the ship, he has to he has to be on his a game more more often than even the players have to be on theirs. Um, he has to get the the tactics right. He has to set up the team right. He has to have the the dressing room mentality. Uh, in a really good place and and that kind of all stems from him um you know and he clearly i think his biggest challenge right now is just leadership uh, on this team it, it's not it's not you know fatigue uh from a physical side because i think the team's going to get more fit as the um as the season goes on but i think it's developing leaders whether they're young or old doesn't matter to me um but that's where I think uh, dan Levine the the, the mental fatigue starts to kind of dissipate when you have more strong leaders who are being developed in the team who know at 2-1 that we have to we have to close up shop a little bit instead of being so open at the back. We have to uh, make sure that our midfield can pass the ball to each other uh, from the 80th minute on, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. So I, I think that's his biggest challenge and I'm, I'm hoping that he has a chance to start developing real leaders.
3: Absolutely. Um, I think um, I, I'd liken this period in, in Chelsea history a little bit to um, after Andre V.S. boas left uh, and was replaced by Robbie Di Matteo, uh, and, and you know, people will maybe balk at that, but, but I'll, I'll clarify. Um, when when Andre was managing, it was a very intense period. There wasn't a lot of freedom. Everything was very very structured. People had to follow every last piece of minutiae, uh, and Robbie and. Um, Eddie Newton came in and they they lifted the weight off people's shoulders. People enjoyed their football a lot more. And that's what I'm seeing at Chelsea now. I spoke to Matej Kovacic at Norwich last week and he said he spoke more than once about the freedom players have. And it's giving professionals that little bit of leeway, that understanding, that belief in themselves that they can do, you know, they can make those decisions. And I think Frank has been very good at that. Um, but, you know, at the same time, the discipline of the team as of a whole that needs, needs some work. Um, so, so, you know, it, it is a matter of, of getting these things in the right order. He's, he's, he's sorting out the key things first. People are enjoying their football a bit more. What we need to do next, of course, is, is shut up the goals. and and enjoy the results.
1: I I think that's a a very good call-out, especially enjoyed the moment where Kovacic actually came close to scoring a goal, and the (sighs) the little interaction between (laughs) Frank and Kovacic in that moment, Nick, was... uh, I think just embodies what Dan is saying, that there there definitely is a a good synergy and connection uh, from the manager to the players in this team right now.
2: It was my favorite part of the entire match. Um, I, I thought that was so good. I think you you've been waiting for a Chelsea manager for, for a long time that, you know, has a really good rapport with the players who isn't just yelling or screaming or sitting and sulking. Um, I think, you know, Kovacic looked over, you know, saw Frank do like that close, that little, you know, that little sign knew exactly who he was talking about. You know, I think it's probably Frank Lampard's mission in life right now to get Kovacic five Premier league goals this year. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that piece. You know, I think where the team, you know, the team's seen a lot of turnover, Dan Levine, you know, we, we have kind of a new center back pairing. We have, you know, a captain kind of from last season who's struggling a little bit, you know, a new left back. Jorginho, basically the the focal point in midfield still, but missing a lot of pieces in a, in a brand new front three. Um, you know, th- there's just a lot to kind of, you know, get this team to gel very quickly and and unfortunately you would have thought that, that Sheffield United at home would have been a, a cakewalk otherwise.
3: Yeah, yeah, it, it is all very shiny and new and, you know, what Frank needs now is a home win. It would be lovely to get that. It's a shame that didn't happen this game. It probably should have done, um, but, you know, as, as they say, we go again. Um, I'll just give you another example of, of that building team's Uh, team team, uh, feeling that's there that I thought was very, very powerful in the game against Sheffield United. There was a bit where Tammy Abraham, who I thought looked really, really good, um, battled his way down into the defence and was just closed down by two or three white shirts. And it was great, great work. And uh, Olivier Giroud, who was um, warming up on the pitch side right alongside him, just applauded him. And I thought that that was a really powerful thing. This is the guy who has been ousted from the team by the guy he's applauding, and that showed two things: it showed what a great professional Giroud is, and also what a great team spirit there is at Chelsea at the moment. And and those sorts of things are the things that I think have been missing over the last season, or maybe two.
2: Well, and you need that, right, right, Dan Dormer. The you need, you know, especially as a young team when you're de- you know developing leaders and you're figuring out who everyone really is uh, right, as players. Support is uh, is crucial. You know, it's it's not the maybe the Mourinho, us against the world thing, but it has to be, you know, it can't be splintered in the locker room for sure. No, I think that that's nail on the head. And I actually think the one substitution I was expecting, which
1: I didn't see, I mean, again, it's uh, it's very nice to give the charity minutes for Mishi a a few donation uh, level kind of contributions, but ultimately, you know, end the dying moments of a game when you want to just retain the possession, where you want to add a little bit of of steel back into the side i i don't think of mishi in the same way i think of someone like drew and he was probably the one person i would have expected to come on uh, at the tail end there to to make you happy particularly nick and yeah again i think it's it's subs probably need some improvement i think it's uh, the starting 11 probably still isn't locked down permanently as we wait for Pedro to be uh, back to fitness, which apparently will be, hopefully, for Wolves, with like goal Conte to be back to fitness, when Rudiger is back in contention, when Rhys James, uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Robin Loftus-Cheek. Um, now, stop me if you, you've heard the names of some of these players, Nick. I mean, we, we have basically you know a, a full transfer signing grouping that's going to be coming in Um, after this international break or kind of, you know, throughout it sprinkled in it. And that's going to change the complexity of this side once again.
2: Of course. Um, You know, I, I huge fan of of many of the players (laughs) that you just listed. So, you know, I think, I think it'll be great. And, you know, I think the added benefit of that is, you know, the, the competition, the squad increases, right? Um, It's, it's not just Tammy or Giroud or Mishi. It's Kovacic or N'Golo. It's, um, you know, Mason and Pulisic and Callum and Pedro and William and it's you know, I think it's the the old uh the old iron sharpens iron thing, Dan Levine, where we got we gotta get players who are healthy and then we gotta get, you know, these guys competing, you know, every day as if their job depended on it.
3: Absolutely. Um and you know, the, the signs are good because um Tony Rudiger played 90 minutes for the development side on the night before the Sheffield United game and uh, looked okay by all accounts. So he should hopefully be back after the um, after the international break. N'Golo Kante is the other big one and I think when those two in particular are in there then that just gives the side so much more solidity. It will be fantastic I think I touched on also on, on Twitter if people are following during the game um, the need for a bit more bulk in midfield and that was given in the first half by, by Ross Barkley who I think Received a lot of criticism for um, you know, apparently not doing enough. But it was notable he, when he was taken out, we looked a lot more flimsy without him. And having Ruben Loftus-Cheek uh, in there with, with that increased physicality, that's what we're really lacking in the middle. You, know, you, you think of that midfield and you, you you put in Kante and loftus cheek and it's you know, just so so different you know it's it's a completely different uh, prospect as a side
1: as an exciting prospect I, I do think one thing we should touch on before we transition is uh you know there there was a stat which Cesar Asplqueta gave away possession 20 times against Sheffield United at least three times more than any other player on the pitch and uh, nick i know that we've seen uh, plaqueta contribute with some uh, offensive or you know not offensive performances but offensive work that he has kind of contributed recently. Uh how did you kind of look at that performance in the context of the the larger side?
2: Well, uh well, if you looked at my Twitter mentions after his performance <laughs> um hmm. then then you would know as as an ardent supporter of of Dave that you know he he did not have a good game and I think he's kind of you know I think it's probably a mental fatigue thing with him too. Um, we have to remember that, you know, Gary Cahill was supposed to be the captain of the club last year um, on the pitch and then never saw a minute of game time uh, essentially. So and while, while Dave has been a leader for, for quite some time, I think there's still, you know, probably, you know, heavy as the head that wears the crown kind of a scenario with him where he is one of the more experienced players on a team that is full of youth and inexperience. And, is trying to both lead and you know kind of play his position in a, in a higher pressing system that isn't maybe as comfortable as some of the uh low block Mourinho defenses Dan Levine and it's uh it's noticeable you know that he he played poorly yesterday i think his side was at fault for both goals and you know it's not been a really good start to the year although i think my caveat would be that he's still an, a ridiculously good professional and i think we'll we'll make it through this tough patch
3: yeah says not had a a great start to the season at all unfortunately uh, if you think you know pe- people are very very quick to to have a go at him but he's been a, a superb uh, servant for chelsea i think he's played practically every position along the back line um he was bought for not many pence really from uh, when, when we when we got him and uh, you know, he has been at times one of the mainstays of the side, but I think arguably he's played maybe a bit too much football, and he is looking very, very physically and mentally tired. Um, this this break is a is a good timing for him. Um, I, you know, it'd be nice if he can have a couple of weeks off and he can get his head straight, um, and you know, hopefully he can restart the season uh, against Wolves in the fortnight. The no,
1: one thing that I would point out is I think it's quick to for people to take a look at just what the uh, they they see as a part of the video broadcast, uh, Dan, and I, I don't know if you see this when you're watching the match uh, in person, when you can kind of get a little bit of a broader view of what's going on in the pitch, but it, to me, it seems very frequently that what's happening with, with Cesar is that ultimately... Emerson is so far up the pitch that what happens is that left center back uh, in, in this this match being uh, Zuma and the right center back and Tomori shift left to cover for Emerson going so far up. And basically, Azpil lives on an island, and if his partners in Tomori or in One of the midfielders, whether that be Jorginho or, um, you know, typically, you know, it's Jorginho on that side or Kovacic, don't get back to help him. He's kind of in a two on one, three on one situation several times, which I, I think is the context people need to look for just versus maybe the individual mistake. And I don't know if you could comment on what you see in, in watching that live when you have a little bit of that broader view of the full
3: pitch. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and that goes back to what Frank is saying about team mistakes. You know, um, people do need to cover for each other. And this is you know a, an issue that's been there with any um, combination of defenders we've had over recent years. Um, we always seem to have at least somebody at the back who who is um, the whipping boy for uh, on on social media, if you like, for a lot of fans and even in, even in the stadium, you know pe- people decide that um, every goal is a mistake of uh, Aspillaqueta, or they decide that every goal is a mistake of Alonso or, or David Lewis or whatever. And you know you defend as a unit. You you do need to have that balance, and you know this is. Um, a lot about the way the side is maturing, it's gathering, it's pace, it's getting together. Because you, know, you do need to have um, that balance when, when the game unexpectedly switches from the attacking phase to the defensive phase. And, and that is what makes a great side. Um, you know, these, these things don't come easily overnight, particularly with a bunch of players who you know, are playing in a new way and don't everyone know everyone who's around them. So you know this this is where the hard yards are done on the training pitch.
2: Could I quickly say a last point on this? We, I got a really good question from from Mark Vandahar on my on my timeline. Uh, Dan Levine he wants to know how does a young club get better when when the captain plays uh, poorly? Uh, he he doesn't think it's a mid season slump because he's only played five games so far this season. But I would I would counter by saying that he's played almost every match for every season that he's been at Chelsea plus Spain international duty. Um, and seems to be one of the hardest trainers at, at the, at the ground at Cobham. So your thoughts,
3: um, a young club gets better by making mistakes and learning from them. So that, that is, that is in, in its in essence is the answer to the question. But in terms of having, uh, one, uh, one unit in the, uh, in the machine that is perceived to be underperforming, yeah, that's always going to be the case. Um, uh, the in the case of, of Cesar As um, I don't think I have met too many more committed and uh hardworking and focused professional footballers than As Um he's you know he's certainly in the the, the top five percent of uh, of hardworking players uh, on and off the pitch that I think Chelsea have had in in the last ten years. Um and you know, as I say, um mistakes are team mistakes uh, and you know people just need to have each other's back uh, and they need to make sure that those mistakes don't happen again
1: although well, that is some fine words to close out on that point we will take a very very quick break here and then we will jump back into talking about tammy talking about tamori and talking about what the club and the supporters could do to better back the players across social so quick break and we'll be right back all right, well, we are back. And Nick, we missed we missed the mark last week because apparently on the Chelsea and on the Chelsea Fancast and, and pretty much any other Chelsea publication, it was all about the Tammy double whammy for his uh. brace last week. But uh, we we're going to rectify that and just call it the Tammy double whammy in this match because once again, the wonderful individual, the number nine, our number nine, gets two goals on the day,
2: four goals in total for the season your thoughts uh, Tammy uh, you know, I think was a menace yesterday um, whereas you know maybe his hold-up play wasn't as solid because Sheffield have some some big uh, some big center backs and midfielders I think his his whole purpose was to run off the shoulder was to get in uh, good positions and you know I'll be honest it wasn't it was not a great collective offensive you know kind of movement of the ball day for Chelsea uh, I think Sheffield kind of made sure to, to sit back in a low block. but um, the two that Tammy got were gifts. Um, you know I think you know when you're trying to be a menace and you make mistakes or when you, when you try and force mistakes, sometimes Dan Levine mistakes will happen and you know especially the second goal was was a, a gift and then you know the first one was was a poor clearance um, you know from their goalkeeper and and again, it's you know I think we all give Mishi Bachuai a lot of this credit. You know, you, they all count. You just got to be in the right position to to make them count.
3: Yeah. Uh, I think Tammy has just got that natural goal scoring thing in his DNA. Um, and it is absolutely fantastic to see him finding the net in the Premier League. Um, people talk about, you know, gifts of goals, but you've got to be in the right place to take those gifts. And we've had enough strikers in recent years, you know, can you imagine if, if those opportunities had come up where on the pitch at the time someone like uh, Maratta would have been? You know, you, you can imagine offsides. he'd been... Well, exactly, or, or, or 10 yards to the left of, of, of the, the, the area. Um, and Tammy gets into those positions, he moves around well, and he takes advantage of those, those chances. Um, and it, it's absolutely wonderful to see a homegrown talent who scored... Four goals in two games in the Premier League for Chelsea
1: well and I did bring this up and I think it was it was important to kind of share this fact so Tammy's four Premier League goals of four appearances 254 minutes for Chelsea is uh he's he's already matched eighty percent of the contribution that Drew and Higuain have lifetime in Premier League for Chelsea. Both of them have five goals. Drew five goals in forty at over fourteen hundred minutes. Higuain had five goals in fourteen matches at just uh just close to eleven hundred minutes. Mishi has in 33 games 600 plus minutes has seven goals so he's 57 percent of the way there to matching his contribution. Murata had 16 and 47 at over 3,000 minutes that's 25 percent of the way there and Costa was the last striker who knew how to find the back of the net with uh, the most regularity had 52 and 79 at uh, over 7,500 minutes so he's uh, 8 percent of the way there Nick but I, I think the early days and early signs of Tammy is that he looks composed, he looks ready, and he is absolutely giving uh, Frank no selection challenges at the, at the number nine position.
2: Yeah. It's, it's been really interesting, right? Like, you know, just last week I kind of went back and forth with uh, Nizar Kinsella on, you know, Tammy versus Giroux and the kind of benefits that each offer. And, you know, I think, I think to Naz's credit, you know, I'm not sure Giroux, would have been there, even though I'm a big supporter of his, uh, to take those two chances yesterday. Um, I think that is is probably an instinctive type of move. So I think it's all credit to Tammy for showing out. I think if you had maybe Dan Levine a criticism of Tammy's performance, it's that, you know, it was really only one half. Um, you know, we need to see kind of a complete ninety minutes out of him. Um, but you know, I think he'll he'll continue to learn and grow as well, uh, and, and get his, you know, kind of uh, um, fitness and and stamina up.
3: Yeah, he's uh, he is a difficulty at the moment, and that was also um, clear at Norwich, where he, he took his goals well. And um, when he was taken off um, by Frank on two goals, you'd have thought normally that, that a striker would, would would be complaining about that because he wants his hat trick. But Tammy was very very ready to go because he's quite clearly um very you know by that stage he was fatigued um and you know it will take a while he's he's a young man to get rid of to get used to the uh the, the pace and the intensity of the, of 90 minutes of premier league football um you know that we, we've had plenty of strikers who much much older had still not got used to that as as a concept um so you know tammy has got a lot of um growing room to go but he's got plenty of time to do it and and as i keep on saying you know to to be scoring goals like this um, so freely, uh, as for a player that's this young, um, is just just a joy.
1: Well, he's shown uh, the ability to to mentally rise above it, and I think yeah, you know, we've seen the number nine shirt swallow a, a lot of personal identities and just bring them into a a combined uh, element of failure or feeling of frustration. And Tammy has risen to the occasion, has proved Frank Lampard right in trusting him for it, and. You know, I, you know, we talked about this early in the season before everything kicked off, that, like, what is the successful or what's the number of goals that make make it feel good that Tammy got a chance to start? And I think it was somewhere in, like, the, the, the 15-ish range, Nick, that we kind of landed on. But, you know, ultimately, like they, that puts him with, you know, the players of the the the, the Pele, you know, the Pele is the... Pele's, the um, the vardis you know people who you know have a double digit goal contribution up front are are people that have an immense value to your side and I think Tammy is showing us you know that he is going to be a strong contributor this season that we we might not have to worry about that position as much as we thought uh, for the remainder of the season if this this if, if this trend continues counterpoint
2: it's the fifth game of the year um and there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of time to go um I am still very worried about the about the striker situation. It's not it's not a discredit to Tammy. It's just a, you know, kind of a collective goals, you know, offensive movement type of situation. Uh, you know, the, uh, one of the things I noted yesterday, Dan, I'm not sure if you saw the same thing, was Mason and Tammy had uh, a much harder time linking up um, and and getting kind of that movement in the final third uh, as they did against Norwich. And, um, you know, I think there's there's probably some lessons to be learned from that. I don't think they're going to have as much time and space on the ball as maybe Norwich allowed uh, for the rest of the year. But you know, I think there was you know, just a kind of stagnation that happened. Even though Tammy did score twice, it was not a brilliant offensive performance.
3: No, and that, and that is the danger that the the the, uh, the weight of expectation now is is just piled on too much. Um, between Tammy and Mason, of course, they've got five goals in two games. But you know, it is against Norwich and it is against Sheffield United, and are two effectively Championship sides. Um, there will be much, much harder days. You know, Liverpool is coming up fairly, fairly soon, uh, and you know, there's no way that um Tammy's going to be given quite much free space. Um, but there were there have been great signs. There is there is a clear understanding that's there between Mason and Tammy, and it's been you know. Built over many many years of the the, the pair of them playing together since since boys, um, and you know we we can take advantage of that. You know, we've w- this is all new for Chelsea really. This is something we've not had the opportunity to do before. You know there there are great sides down the years. You know everyone knows about you know, the class of ninety two at United. And they know about you know, the the Liverpool boot room and things like that, where you've had this understanding that's been fostered from boyhood among players and we've got the opportunity to do that but just don't expect Tammy and Mason to score two goals every game (laughs) because I'd like yeah, you know, I'd like to say now, I think it's fairly unlikely that they're gonna munch against Liverpool. Go ahead, do it, lads. You know, prove me wrong and, and and I'll be the first to say, well done. But uh you know, they're not gonna do it every game.
1: Well, if it is against Liverpool and they decide not to do it against Brighton, I think I would be okay with that one, Dan. I think uh <laughs> contextually that. that would be good. Um just a couple of quick stats about Tammy before we transition, talk about another Chelsea youth player who's kind of made it into the first team. Uh two, Tammy Abraham is the first Englishman to score. Least two goals in consecutive Premier League appearances for Chelsea since none other than Sir Frank Lampard in January 2010. Impression and then five each of Chelsea's five last five Premier League goals have been scored by English players Abraham three mount two for the first time. This has happened for the Blues, excluding own goals since October 2011. Seven from Sturridge, um, or sorry, seven Sturridge three, Lampard three, and then Terry. Lions, so some pretty nice uh, stats there, Nick. And uh, again, I think it's the the main thing now is just making sure to, to stay positive, to back these guys, and and be excited for what the potential could be if uh, if trends continue in a positive direction.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it's exactly what we've kind of been preaching since preseason. Like these guys need time. You know, the, the Premier League doesn't offer a lot of time though, and and that was witnessed yesterday. It's going to be, you know, I think it was witnessed against Leicester that. Just because you have, you know, young guns and and there's a lot of positivity around your club doesn't mean that equals results. Uh, Sometimes you have to grind, you know, one mils or two ones out and, you know, that's, you know, it's on Tammy to finish that third goal, um, you know, certainly and get his hat trick. It's also on the defense to do their job and. You know, I think from from what I've seen from him, I've been very impressed to this point. Let's just hope he keeps it up and, and keeps growing. All right. So transitioning,
1: Tamori was the one who got a bit of a surprise start in this match. Uh, Frank did indicate that he'd been training at a really high level and deserved his chance to play today. You know, Probably knew them from playing for Derby last season and getting a chance to play against the newly promoted Sheffield United. I I think maybe just uh, quickly, Dan, how did you feel about Tomori's first appearance? I know he had that amazing block near the end of the game, which you, you thought would be the mental moment that converted the side into a team that could pull it across the line. But at last, did not. How did you feel about his performance on the day?
3: I thought it was generally a good performance. I didn't, I didn't look at it and think that there were any horrendous moments. There were no, no real, real major errors. That block was was a really great moment, and I thought it was a good, strong Premier League debut. Um, he looking at defence certainly. You know there, there were individual errors there. We talked about team errors, but there were individual errors. Um, and and he wasn't one of the ones I was looking to who was making individual errors.
1: Nick, was that your assessment as well as you see that uh, Tamori was a little bit more composed and a little bit better at uh, being tidy with his play relative to the rest of the defense yesterday?
2: Yeah, I think the I think the thing that's always stood out to me about his play is just how comfortable he is on the ball, and and contrast that with Zuma, um, who is who's much more comfortable without the ball. Um, and, and I mean that in a, in a complimentary way, not, not a derogatory way. Um, it, it was interesting to watch those two kind of interact with, you know, kind of passing between them. Um, I, I would like to see, you know, because I think Tamori has has big time ups. You know, he certainly challenged for a lot of headers and, and was physical, but his play with the ball is something that I think is going to uh, one day separate him out from the rest. And I'm just hoping he... Continues to get chances, uh, Dan until Dan Levine until he you know can really kind of form you know out who he's supposed to be as a as a centre back.
3: Definitely yes, uh, and you know that that is the he is the sort of player that Chelsea are looking for at the back. He's you know, he can play the ball. He's he's a good level head. He's very very comfortable there. You know, given the number of years under his belt, he looks very very confident and very very measured and Chelsea have been very very good at turning out players like that you know if you look uh, across to something like someone like uh, Ethan Ampadu uh, you know he's a, a product for a few years time maybe but you know these these guys who just do look so assured on the ball and and make everyone around them feel a little bit calmer about doing the job that they have to do. And that, that is a very strong power he's got.
1: I, I think he definitely looked composed, definitely ready to challenge for, or at least give Frank a little bit of a thought from a selection standpoint. And Obviously, with Carabao Cup draws having taken place with our first set of Champions League matches coming up, with, uh, again, the Premier League does not stop for either of those two competitions, that there will be plenty of opportunity for Tomori to earn some selection after putting in a solid performance Uh, One one performance that unfortunately got a little shaded in a different light because of the own goal in the dying moments of the game, Uh, Zuma did level the scoreline, and it didn't take long for so-called fans uh, to do a quick search for his Twitter and Instagram handles and unfurl their hateful racist assaults in 280 characters or less at him. Uh, Nick, I know that Lampert had some comments. I think we want to maybe just share those directly as a a first go.
2: Yeah, he said we have to look at social media and the platforms to give them some accountability to actually have people register uh, who could be chased down for it. I think it's simple. Unless we get to that, however horrible that conversation is, we're all going to get tired talking about it because there's no culpability. Anybody can say anything to anyone. It could be racism, homophobia, sexism. If we allow it, and unfortunately in modern society it is out there and it has to be dealt with. everyone knows from the way I speak and the way the club acts consistently where we want to go with it um, and and I mean Dan Levine that that just it's been a consistent thing you know for as long as as we've been talking on this podcast which is over 5 years i mean i don't know what you know i think frank's point is like what else can can we possibly say about this
3: um i mean some some people listening will know this is a subject that's very dear to my heart and it's something that i've i've had a lot to say about over recent years um and it's interesting talking uh, to an american audience because of course freedom of speech is something that's just built into your very being as a country uh, and that's a great thing um but uh, uh, but freedom of speech has to come with accountability. Um, you can't just simply come up with something and have no comeback on it at all. Uh, and you know, it, it is time, I think, for the social media companies to look at the ability of people to say things, whether they say them because they want to, because they've got some sort of ideological disease in their heads or whether they say it because they just want to cause shock or outrage. I don't know. It doesn't really matter because the person on the receiving end feels it exactly the same way around. But but people can't be continued to allow to, to allow to say things with no comeback at all. That has to be looked at and there has to be a different way of doing these things.
1: Uh, and I will say we, we did reach out to Dan before this match to chat about Sheffield and uh, we're not anticipating that this would be the topic we have to discuss because obviously we we have done uh, the three-part series at the beginning part of last season to talk about Chelsea's history about combating uh, this uh, unfortunate racial and you know anti-Semitic issues that have kind of permeated into Chelsea's culture over the years and how the club has done a really strong job and, and supporters have done a strong job to, to battle back against that. Uh, the club's statement in this regard was that the continued racial abuse of players on social media is totally unacceptable and we condemn it in the strongest terms. The club is disgusted with the posts on social media this evening targeting Kurt Zuma and join others in the football community in asking social media companies to take action against these individuals. Chelsea FC finds all forms of discriminatory behavior abhorrent. Racism is no place in this club, and where there's clear evidence of Chelsea season ticket holders or members involved with such behavior, we will take the strongest possible action against them. Uh, so I think you know, Dan, the the club has you know drawn, I, I cemented a line in the ground, not even drawn a line in the sand as as where they stand, and has kind of held very good to that over recent seasons to try to help eradicate it. I, I think it's just to your point. it's some of it is out of their hands from a a standpoint of getting some of the things done other than just being the biggest advocates they can being a great ally and shining a light on what is a a major issue
3: yeah these these are as is frequently said these are problems of society they're not problems that are limited to just one sport or just one football club you know these these do exist in the real world and the outside um but it's very heartening to to work with chelsea which into support Chelsea, which is a club that has taken such a firm stand on this. You don't see other football clubs doing quite the degree of work that Chelsea are doing around this area. But you know, having said that, these things you know, do require changes to society and changes by things like social media companies. So you know, one to watch. We're a long, long way from getting this one sorted.
1: All right. Well, we will kind of get ready to wind down this episode on that. Uh, one item I've I doubt put in here, Nick, is that uh, Mateo Kovacic has completed 13 out of 14 attempted take-ons in his Premier League season so far. Only Oliver Norwood has been able to tackle him when doing so. So a little bit of a uh, resurgent player under Frank Lampard who got a little, uh, you know, even stick from us at the beginning of the season, uh, completing the signing. But he is uh, he's definitely looking like he's come good.
2: Indeed. Yeah, he's hes played very well at the start of the season. You know, I think you point to him, you point to Mason, you point to Tammy, and you, you point to Emerson as players who have all uh, shown improvement uh, or, or kind of uh, at least bested expectations at this point and you know now it's kind of up to the the rest of the players to kind of uh match them uh by doing the same
1: all right and last thing that we probably should talk about here is the league table as it stands Liverpool unfortunately in first place on 12 points, Man City at 10, we have Leicester at 8 points, Palace, Everton, West Ham all at 7 at the moment, uh, Arsenal at 6 with still a game to play against Tottenham at time of recording, United at 5, Sheffield at 5, and us at 5, Spurs at 4, Burnley at 4, Southampton at 4, Newcastle at 4, Bournemouth at 4, Brighton 4, Wolves 3, Aston Villa at 3, Norwich three and Watford at a whopping one. So uh, definitely the table as we thought it would stand four weeks into the Premier League season, Dan, and uh, pretty much, you know, we're out of the relegation zone. So everything is okay beyond that.
3: Yeah. Just end the season now. <laughs> um, four, <laughs> four games. I, 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 it's wonderful, isn't it? that people draw league tables after four games, but anyway, um, one, one thing that's interesting to watch is that, um, you know, last season when we were scrabbling around for a manager, um, a few people suggested that the Watford manager might be a good shout. Well, um, maybe not now.
1: Yeah, uh, Javi may not be the uh, the solution here at Chelsea. Uh, even if uh, he'll be
2: available soon, so yeah.
3: <laughs> that's good news. <laughs> I mean,
1: we- waiting for him to not not be on a contract so we don't have to pay a fee. That's uh, that that would be the real Chelsea model there. <laughs> All right. Well, Dan Dan Levine. Um, Anything we should know? I mean, uh, since you know you've been writing for the Athletic now, you know anything people should be looking for, should pay attention to uh, between now and the next time we get you on.
3: Um, I'm just trying to think what I can say. Yeah, I've been doing some stuff for the Athletic, which uh, American uh, listeners will know very well, but is starting to have a real push uh, in in the UK uh, and uh, world dominance appears to be the name of the game. They've got some fantastic coverage. Uh, and at the moment, I'm writing stuff for the on Chelsea, as is Liam Toomey, and there are a couple of other um, names that may be about to come in that, that that listeners will know. So, so it's a it's a space that's well worth watching. Um, and you know, the, the the ambition is to make it the very best place full coverage of the Premier League and of Chelsea.
1: All right. Well, we will enjoy getting a chance to see you very, very soon in person and uh, celebrate those beers. Apparently, Nick is buying. Uh, he texted me that during the uh, during the conversation we've been having. So uh, just uh, just make sure that that's out there and that's cemented in the world. <laughs> Pictures uh, Nick, where it didn't happen, obviously. <laughs> uh, Nick, any final thoughts before we go?
2: No, I mean, it, you know, again, not to, to harp on the on the racism from quote unquote supporters. But um, I I think the, how we can help question is report it on all the social media platforms as quickly as possible. Call it out. If you see it in person, call it out. Um, These people think they have strength behind anonymity or think they have strength because you know, regular, not racist people won't do anything. Uh, Quite the opposite. You know if you see it say something and uh, I think that is the is the way to beat this thing uh, back into uh, into submission
1: say a very fair point. I will end us on the fact that even though the international break is going on, Chelsea Football Club, which comprises many teams is not done we do have the chelsea women who'll be taking on tottenham to kick off their season next sunday uh dan will you be there at uh stanford bridge for that
3: uh, i may well be i haven't quite decided yet but um it will be bouncing i think there's thirty six thousand in for that game and uh, that'll be a fantastic crowd for, for a women's game
1: yeah i think that's going to be wonderful it's the start of another season under emma and her squad and uh, you know again they are one of the the chelsea teams that is uh always tipped to bring some silverware home and, it, again, very, very exciting, especially on the back of the Women's World Cup of this uh, this year. So definitely if you are a Chelsea supporter, Chelsea fan, you are a Chelsea fan of all the teams in this club, uh, there'd be a, if you can get the tickets to the match, go see it. If you can't, I'm sure uh, mainly like the dev games that you'll be able to stream it uh, through the Fifth Stand app. So pretty exciting times. But that's it. We're done. We'll get you another episode later in the week. But until then, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.